stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. How's everybody doing out there? I hope that life is finding you all well and that the fields of film and literature and fandoms of all sorts are ripe and bountiful for you. I know that uh, there, there are a lot of my favorite artists and writers out there that have been keeping me very occupied, and I'm actually... I have delved deep into some of the greatest influences of my childhood and of my teenage years to enhance my present, and it has been extremely rewarding. Now, if that sounds vague, I apologize, though you must know that my wife and I are working on an as-of-now somewhat secret project, and we're very excited to share that with you in time. Lord of mercy, it's going to ring true with a lot of you fine folk. At least that is our sincere wish. Now, moving forward, we've got some actual news pertaining to the Sleeping Giant podcast that we'd like to share, as well as some of our thoughts on a couple of current Marvel releases, chief among them the Captain Marvel film and that banging new trailer for Avengers Endgame. Also, it is my great pleasure to share with you a conversation that I had with Brian Byerly of the Marvel Mythos podcast, wherein we discuss the season one finale of X-Men, the animated series, the episode titled The Final Decision. Y'all get comfy, because we are about to begin. My family and I recently saw Captain Marvel, and I'd like to say that I thought it was wonderful. Actually, I reckon I did just say that I thought it was wonderful, so there. There it is. I've said it. Come to think of it, we saw it opening night because I could not bear the thought of Avengers spoilers popping up in any of my news feeds, which surprisingly were sparse. However, there was one plot twist in particular that shook me, and I'm damned well pleased that I got to enjoy it for myself. If you have seen the film, I'm sure you know which plot twist I'm referring to, and if you haven't, it's a story element that is it's itself worth the price of a ticket, so I strongly recommend it. Captain Marvel was, to me, it was a solidly produced film with a solid story, and it seemed to set the stage for what will likely be the Kree-slash-Captain Marvel involvement in the post-decimation world of the Avengers. In it, we meet the Kree star force Brie Larson, known in the film at that time as Veers, who is already an incredibly powerful warrior. And we're given a story told almost in reverse of a woman who not only is extremely powerful, but has a life and a potential that is sort of buried within her or unknown to her and that has been kept from her and we're able to watch her rediscover that life and overhaul that potential all while kicking ass the entire time. That is something that is very important to mention, I think. There aren't many uh uh-oh moments for Veers and we know that uh, 
we know as we're watching in the first act that as Captain Marvel, the the obstacles will need to become apparent. However, as they do so, they're a bit more introspective and almost spiritual, which I think is brilliant. It would have been an ill move on the part of the filmmakers to ever place Marvel in a damsel in distress scenario. So massive props to Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck for creating these these hurdles and challenges for the character, all without undermining her or cheapening her role. As I said, it's a wonderful film, and Sam Jackson is amazing, as always, as is Clark Gregg, with hair. Um, Ben Mendelsohn's Talos was brilliant, and a near-scene-stealer as well. So now that this film has been established, I'm finding it quite difficult to wait and see what Brie Larson brings to the Avengers as a seasoned Captain Marvel. Speaking of the Avengers, Marvel Studios dropped what is to be assumed the final trailer for Avengers Endgame last week, and it was pretty intense. I use that word mostly because the trailer hammered home in for, it hammered home in for me just how long it's been since we first saw Tony Stark escape from the caverns of the Ten Rings in his classic Mark I suit. Let's just say that between the time that Tony built his first arc reactor and the time Thanos snapped his infinity stone bestudded finger, I've had to look up the definition of rheumatism and crow's feet for myself. And the results of that horrifying query notwithstanding, I still got a wonderful sense of how much effort has been put into the crafting of the MCU. And we've gotten some pretty excellent films in the past decade, I'd say. There isn't much inside of this trailer that we haven't already seen by the previous teaser. The first three quarters of it are filled with desaturated images from the previous films. Maybe it's not quite three quarters. Maybe it's more of uh, more like half the trailer. But they're filled with desaturated images from the previous films, save for the color red, which is, I reckon, the universal color uh, symbolic of war, in addition to being, of course, Marvel's signature hue. And they're rolling that with a uh, lovely backing audio track of Stark soliloquizing and uh, whatever. I'm guessing that he's talking to Pepper. A couple of our other heroes chime in over the course of the trailer. And I reckon the general idea is that despite overwhelming evidence that what's done is done in the post-decimation world, the Avengers are prepared to do whatever it takes to fix it, even if that means monkeying around in space and time and getting up to all sorts of impossible hijinks to get backsies from the Mad Titan. Now, I I ain't being crass here either. I don't mean to make light of that because I I mean literally they will be monkeying around in in space and time. Well, that's that's my guess anyway. That's my hypothesis based on on what we've seen at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp. And of course, the trailer, the teaser trailer for Endgame that we had seen previously with, with Ant Man slash Scott Lang. Um, and then, of course, in this last trailer, there's the the main visual takeaway, or what I thought was the main visual takeaway, and that was a shot of our surviving heroes clad in the uh, nifty suits, which will presumably allow them to travel and work within the quantum realm. Now, again, that's absolutely a guess on my part, but I think. A lot of us are thinking the same thing on that count. Now, 
there are definitely some cool visuals and action sequences peppered throughout the trailer, but I'm not one to speculate too heavily. The fun in that is kind of gone for me at this point, and a lot of times the trailers for these massively anticipated films are intentionally misleading, so I will leave that one alone. Now, the highlight of the trailer for me is when Thor summons Stormbreaker in front of a stone-faced Captain Marvel, and it flies into his hand, rustling her hair just a bit, uh, perilously close to Marvel's face, uh, eliciting from her only the tiniest of smirks. And that, to me, <laughs> that was gold. And I watched that scene with my daughter, and I asked her if the woman looked familiar, and she kind of studied her and, and said, no. And when I told her it was Captain Marvel, she was silent for several seconds before she said, is she going to be in the new Avengers movie? Is she an Avenger? And when I said yes, she remained quiet, but her mouth just slowly fell open and she breathed ever so quietly. Cool. Now, that really made it for me. And if I wasn't already excited about this film, I'm definitely super stoked now knowing that my daughter is also super stoked about seeing Captain Marvel again and it's it's a very cool thing uh, for me as a fan a very cool thing for me as a dad and hopefully very cool for the rest of us and we will definitely find out how cool come this April 26th oh now I have been working quite hard over here making some changes to the Sleeping Giant podcast and some of the features on our social media outlets. I'm trying to sort of consolidate everything and get all of the names and associated tags and slugs and whatnot a little bit more cohesive and a little bit more similar to one another. So the Facebook page is now facebook.com slash TSG podcast. The Instagram handle is at the Sleeping Giant podcast. And the Twitter handle, which is kind of getting some use now, is at TSG underscore pod. Now, maybe when I'm rich and famous, I can, you know, have one name and, and buy all of the, the necessary slugs and tags that I need to sort of put everything under one umbrella. I hear that can be done. Right now, I don't think that's really something I need to worry about too much, but I am trying to make it just a little bit easier for everyone to see and everyone to find. I have also been working on a website, which you can find at www.tsgpodcast.com, and there you'll be able to find links to all of the social media outlets, as well as direct links to past podcast episodes, all of which should be available for direct download also. Now, the website is up, but it is still very much under construction. It's not terrible looking, I guess. Um, you know, you can visit and, and you can check out some of the things that I just mentioned. Most of it is in good working order. They're just uh, all, all of the episodes that we've recorded aren't yet available. So um, once that is finalized, this is the really important part. Once that is finalized, the show will be switching hosts. So you should not have to worry about resubscribing to the Sleeping Giant podcast, but do know that I may possibly lose some of you in the switch. I really don't want that to happen. That would be um, that would be most regrettable and not something that I would want to have occur. And I have taken pro uh, precautions to avoid that, but it is still possible. So I do want to let you know 
that when that change goes into effect, um, you can be on the lookout. And of course, it's a monthly show, so hopefully you will miss me enough to notice that your podcatcher hasn't delivered anything new. Um, and if that happens, I do ask, pretty pleased that you do resubscribe. Again, you should not have to, but I'm just putting it out there. So speaking of subscriptions, please consider subscribing to the show if you haven't already. Also, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts would be stellar. They really do help, and they mean so much to me, and um, it's more than just flair on the uh, the podcast page on Apple Podcasts. It's a lot more than flair. It's a lot more than just to, to stroke my ego and, and, and make that page looks, look good. It actually pushes up higher pushes us up higher in the searches and rankings, and it goes a long way towards helping us get the name of the sleeping giant out there. It only takes a few moments, and um, all of us here are super grateful for all of your help. Do know that, and we thank you kindly for that. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us or leave a comment that you'd like to have featured on the show, again, you can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com, TSG Podcast. Instagram at the Sleeping Giant Podcast and Twitter at TSG underscore pod. Finally, you can still send us an email to sgcardsandtoys at gmail.com. That email hasn't changed because I do still do a lot of selling of toys and cards and whatnot. Um, so I, I do still have that attached to eBay and uh, the PayPal account and whatnot. So um, eventually I'll have everything under the same umbrella though. So until then, I appreciate all of your support, and I want to thank you very much. Um, two fellas in particular I'd like to mention and, and give a massive thank you, and that is Mr. Rob Mercer and Kyle McBreen. They are both collectors and have both been very generous in their support of both me and the Sleeping Giant podcast. So props to you, gentlemen. I uh, certainly appreciate it. And I know my wife appreciates it as well. Maggie, she has actually... Um, She's helped Rob start his uh, licensed sketch card collection with a two-piece puzzle card that she did from the Topps Empire Strikes Back black and white series. And uh, Rob was, was really into that, and we were able to make that happen for him. So we're, we're certainly happy for that. And, of course, Maggie's grateful. Guys, if you want to check out some of the art that she's done as well as some of the licensed art that she's done for Topps, definitely check her out on Instagram at Maggie underscore ransom. And uh, you'll be able to see some of the, some of the really cool stuff that she's done. And that is of course, Maggie M A G G I E underscore ransom R A N S O M. And that is on Instagram. So check it out y'all. As stated y'all. And as we've teased through stories on Instagram, I'm extremely pleased or should I say extremely pleased, to be able to feature a conversation I had with Mr. Brian Byerly from the Marvel Mythos podcast about the season one finale of the first 13 episodes of X-Men, the animated series, entitled The Final Decision. Brian's incredibly knowledgeable of, of the X-Men and many of the extremely wide and varied publications and incarnations of the X-Men, and hopefully this segment will illustrate to you why Brian's podcast is my go-to Marvel show. That, and he's just a genuinely cool and laid-back cat. So let's jump right in and see how this mutant-inspired chat played out. Brian, you there? Yeah, I'm here. 
Hey, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Very well, sir. I am. Let me say I'm thrilled to have you here. It's just, it's, it's kind of surreal, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to be on, to be honest with you. Awesome. Well, I certainly hope that you're being honest with me. Otherwise, <laughs> it would just be awkward and kind of strange. And I've probably said that in the past uh, when I've had guests on the program. But it's not, you know, it's it's not a lie. It is surreal because I started off as a fan. I'm still a fan. And and now you're here and we're talking. It just it blows my mind every time. It blows my mind. Well, we are we are thrilled to have you as one of our fans. You're uh, you're the kind of people that we want following us. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Well, I, I certainly appreciate it. I um I'm I'm glad we're doing this though. And uh, and it took me a little while to figure out where I wanted to go with things or how I wanted to do them in regard to X Men. I didn't necessarily want to to follow up an X-Men episode with another X-Men episode, but at the same time, I just could not get away from the idea of, of doing another X-Men episode. So my brother and I, in the episode before last, as you know, we did the first two episodes. It was a two-parter of the X-Men animated series from 92, uh, Night of the Sentinels, parts one and two. And now here we are. Uh, we're going to be talking about X-Men again, you and I, but I would like to ask before we get started, for our listeners, if you could just sort of tell us who you are, where we can all find you on social media, and what you're all about. My name is uh, Brian Byerly. Uh You can find me on Instagram at Marvel underscore Mythos and on Twitter at Marvel Mythos Pod. Currently, I host a podcast called Marvel Mythos. We are a comic book club podcast that we focus on 90s era Marvel comics, specifically Avengers, Spider-Man, and X-Men. And we try to base what we're covering on the same publication dates across all three so that you can see what's going on in the major franchises at the same time. Most excellent, sir. Thank you. Now, I have to ask, what is it do you think that brings us back to the X-Men? What, what do the X-Men mean to you? So the the crazy thing with X-Men is I've been a fan since I was eight. Um, the animated series, like many people, is what introduced me to it. And I was thinking about it today, and I was surprised because I remembered something that I had never, I hadn't remembered in years, probably almost decades. Um, I remember before it debuted, my cousin, uh, who was recently on our show, uh, he he actually told me he was excited about this show coming out called X-Men. And I was like, oh, okay, well, if my older cousin's excited about a cartoon, I should probably check it out too. And then uh, when it debuted, man, I was just blown away. I don't know. It was it was unlike anything that I'd seen. And back then, man, I was watching the real Ghostbusters. I was watching Turtles. I was watching Transformers. Oh, yeah. All that stuff. And those are all great shows, especially for their time. But to be honest with you, there, there was nothing of the depth and breadth of X-Men uh, in cartoon form. And I think the whole idea of outcasts like they are uh, is appealing to a wide range of individuals. I know for myself, being a fan of comics and having a uh, heart defect, I felt myself kind of being on the outskirts uh, growing up, especially being an introvert, which is odd to think that I host a podcast and I'm an introvert, but it's the truth. And uh, so I think that whole idea was very appealing. And I think that's part of why they have such a broad appeal. The other thing that I think really makes X-Men stand out is that they've actually been very progressive for the last 30, 40 years. 
whereas most things haven't been. So I think they've really been ahead of the curb. I mean, if you think about it, Storm was the the leader for a very long time. So you have an African-American woman being the leader of a, a huge team, a very popular team, especially in that day. And it was late 70s, early 80s when she was really taking the reins over. So to think about that concept, I think I think that's why it's so appealing to so many people. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. And I'm just out of curiosity, since you mentioned Storm, was yep. that when they had split the teams up or was she leading a singular team? At that she time? actually led the main line. Um, so back when the Phoenix saga happened, the dark Phoenix specifically, and Gene was thought dead, uh, Cyclops didn't handle it very well and he walked out <clears throat> and they had mm-hmm. kind of debated on who should be leading. And I think at one point they were even leaning towards Nightcrawler and eventually it ended up being storm and she took over and there was actually a battle uh, when Cyclops was feeling kind of left out and he started to come back around and there was a battle between the two of them. And I think at that point she even didn't have her powers because uh, oh, yeah, wow. she was, she was powerless for a minute and uh, she, she just out outsmarted him. It was more or less like there was this dynamic in Scott's mind going back and forth about, you know, his value and his worth. So he was very self-conscious mm-hmm. at that moment when they were fighting and it got into his head and it just, it just made her have an advantage that she normally wouldn't even without the powers. So that gotcha. was, yeah. See, and this, this is why I'm very happy to have you. <laughs> I, I stopped, I stopped reading X-Men recently. Cause I, I had picked up the classic issues and was kind of working my way back up, up the line to the present timeline, if you will. And I just got through the first Phoenix ordeal and the meeting of the Shi'ar and all of that business. So I, I kind of put it down for now. Not not out of lack of interest, but you know, sometimes you gotta put your attention elsewhere for sure for a little bit and gotta get back to that. But definitely thank you for that, because I did not know that. Yep. Um now when I had uh when I had approached you initially, you could have chosen any number of episodes or and or seasons of X-Men, but you chose to focus on the 13th and final episode of the first season, the final decision. So why that episode? Man, I don't know. It just probably at my age, excuse me, probably at my age when that debuted, it just felt like a very grand and epic episode. It felt unlike anything I had seen before. If I'm, if I'm being frank, because Like I said, there were all these other cartoons that we watched as kids, but this actually was like the first introduction into serialized television that I had seen. And at the time, obviously, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what that meant. But looking back on it, I think my love for X-Men is why I struggle with TV shows now that are more filler or week to week. And I have to like really get the shows that I get into. They have to be serialized. And I think this is a big part of it. And with Final Decision, it was like almost everything that had been building for the first 12 issue episodes just led to this one moment. And I remember as a kid, this was the episode that made me fall in love with Magneto. And I've mm. kind of solidified that no matter who my favorite character is, whether it's Cyclops or Gambit or whoever might take the number one spot, like Magneto has got to be number two for me, no matter what. So, like, whoever gets supplanted or takes the first spot, whoever was in first drops the third automatically because I just love Magneto that much. And I think that was the 
the episode that really triggered that for me. <clears throat> I also think just the way that it plays out, it plays out in a way when I was watching it for this, I found myself like going, Oh yeah, I remembered everything about that episode. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was taken aback because I literally watched this and I thought, man, if you expanded this into an hour and a half or two hours, you'd actually have a really good movie. And I think mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, if you just added a little bit from maybe, I don't know, Inner Magneto or you know, maybe something from Days of Future Past episodes, you might be able to expand that into a 90 to 90 minute to 120 minute movie. And I was just really surprised to find that type of type of episode in the show. And I think that's what made such an impression on me as a kid. I can definitely appreciate that. That is something that I actually realized even as a younger person watching the program was that it it all tied together and it was actually easy for me to recall story aspects from X-Men because the episodes weren't random. Yeah. I could I could recall the story with relative ease even if it had been a number of years since I had seen them um or if I had missed a couple of episodes which I did. I I wasn't uh, able to watch it from start to finish. There were there were some gaps in it for me that I had to refill over the years. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned the serialized aspect of the program because I did want to see if you had if you had watched the first season before you had gotten to that one or if you remember it um, as clearly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I uh, so in preparation for this, I to be honest with you, I only watched Final Decision, but. <clears throat> I, even before I watched it, I started thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, what was season one? I'm like, all right, so you've got the Night of the Sentinels. Then you've got the, the base fight with Magneto with uh, Storm and Cyclops and Wolverine. And then I was, then I thought, oh, okay, then you've got Deadly Reunion, which is Sabretooth at the mansion and he's a hostage. And you've got Rogue and Cyclops and Storm going after Magneto. Um, and the, I don't remember if it was like a, I think it was a nuclear place. And then yeah, I think yeah, so. And then you've missile silo. Yes. And then you've got um, then you've got Captive Hearts with the Morlock Tunnel um, episode. Then I want to say after that was when Wolverine went off on his own to some uh, yeah some you, Eskimo village or it, something. Right. Yep. And then right after yeah. that was Slave Island, which is another episode that sticks out to me as one of my favorites. Um, yeah, Genosha. I'll always like. Anytime I, I think of X-Men, I always think of Genosha, and it's from watching the cartoon. As yeah, a kid. I don't know why that episode is so impressionable, <laughs> but it was. Well, as a kid, you know, as a kid seeing that kind of stuff, it was pretty heavy, um, you know, it was, and it was unique to that cartoon, I think. I don't remember watching any other television show aimed at kids or a cartoon that dealt with got some really serious issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, the closest one I can think of was Batman the Animated Series, but it was almost a different yeah. type of seriousness. Um, it, it was more emotional, <clears throat> I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. That's uh, uh, that's exactly what it was. And then with X-Men, it was more about the, the serious issues that go on. And, and it was just, I don't know, it's amazing to think about that in that one specific episode, you've got slavery being an issue, you know, a different race being slaved, uh, enslaved. And then you've got Storm dealing with her claustrophobia. And it was just, I don't know, it's something that 
you don't yeah. really see. And I, and I was thinking about it months ago because <clears throat> I'm, I try to get my kids into the, the current cartoons. So, you know, I've tried to get my daughter into um, the Avengers cartoon or the Spider-Man cartoon and I'm watching it and I'm like, what is it about these that are just not as good as the old X-Men and Batman ones? And I think it's because of they, they stray away from these type of serious issues. And I wish they wouldn't. And I, and I don't mean it in a way that I want the media to be what informs my kids of these, mm-hmm. these issues. But I think using media to kind of open their eyes to it in a different way that they can relate to it or at least see what's going on in a way that they can understand is pretty important. And I, and I feel like sure. we've gotten away from that in the current, current cartoon culture. Yeah. I, I would 100% <coughs> agree with that. I think things are a little bit, I don't necessarily want to say sugar coated, but I, I maybe lighthearted, I think yes, um, would, would be the way to put that. And, and when we're talking about, these past episodes of cartoons, specifically X-Men and you use, or I guess you're addressing these issues. I just want a little, little bit of clarification on that or to clarify When you say that I'm picking up on just the interpersonal relationships between human beings in general, I think is what we're really looking at here. And, you know, it's so funny because I'm, every time I think about X-Men, I can't, um, it's almost as if I'm not being, entertained in in a jovial fashion if uh, that makes okay. any sense yeah um i'm usually put into a place where i'm thinking now these the last several issues of x-men that i've read from the current run i've uh i've been entertained i've had some laughs there are some good jokes in talking there about that honey I, badger that I really like <laughs> um no actually uncanny the last oh, okay. uh the last i think issue 13 12 and 13 you know in in that in that area. Um, but it's still heavy, man. And it's still dark Oh, and it's, it's not remotely lighthearted. Yeah. I don't want to uh, get too spoilery with current comics, but uh, the way that they're handling oh, no. some of the Sentinels and the way that they're being used. And then some of the, the um, Warlock virus, I can't think of the name of it right now, but the virus that Warlock has or is and the way they've implemented that it's, yeah, it's very, very dark and heavy while at the same time there are those moments that kind of make you laugh uh sprinkled inside yeah. of it <laughs> yeah especially the dialogue between logan and scott for sure. i think that's, for sure. that's, that's some, of, some of the best stuff <laughs> that i've read in a while but uh moving away from that and, and back to x-men um so that's that's what you've got i think when when you're watching this cartoon and and i watched the first season to bring me back up to speed and to prepare for final decision which was the which is the episode we're going to talk about, and uh, it was kind of the same thing. I got a few laughs, a few eye rolls because <laughs> you know it's some of it is a little dated, but you know as we're saying, I'm watching this and I see Genosha, I see the mutants enslaved, I, I see uh, the prejudice against the mutants, and I see um, just all the all the hatred that's very much in your face, and that is at the core of that first season. So I do just kind of want to recap a little bit to bring us back to, uh, back to where we were. I think I kind of went off on a tangent <laughs> there <laughs> when we started talking about uh, Genosha and Slave Island. Um, so after that point, we're kind of bringing, uh, bring ourselves to the, the end, I guess, or the, the final episode of the first season. And um, I'm trying to think if, any, if there's anything 
major that occurs between Wolverine coming back and uh, and the end of the season. I don't think that there is. I know that that uh, they meet Colossus and yeah. So they meet Colossus. They have the battle with Juggernaut. I would say the mm-hmm. the important piece for final decision is Days of Future Past occurring right, right before it. I, I'm, I don't know how I missed that. It's in my notes right here. Um, so yeah, that that in particular was pretty cool. Obviously, it was a little, I don't want to say dumbed down. That's not the right way to put it. It was abbreviated, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, I think for the sake of, of brevity, but also because it, you know, was a child's cartoon, yeah. despite, you know, some of the serious, more mature themes. Um, so we have Days of Future Past, parts one and two, um, which was... Of course, based on the the Claremont story, Days of Future Past, which it seems to me like a lot of the X Men stuff these days is heavily steeped in Claremont, and um, in regard to the films, yes, uh, even I would say even to an extent some of the comic stuff, because most of the stuff <clears throat> that we call back to in X Men kind of stems from that that Claremont era, and I've I've honestly it, this is gonna show listeners exactly who my favorite football team is and how they're going to hate me. (laughs) But I often compare that to Tom Landry for the Dallas Cowboys and how he was kind of the it guy there for, I think it was 29 seasons, but with Claremont, Mm -hmm. it was something like 15, 16 years or so that he was the, the main writer for X-Men and he was doing X-Men. He was doing new mutants. Um, He was doing the solo Wolverine miniseries. He was doing like all kinds of different things. Um, inside of the X-Men world and he brought these grand stories to it and a lot of people will give John Byrne major credit for some of the ones that we really think of like Phoenix Saga and and I think he was part Mm -hmm. of Days Days might have been right after I can't remember or no Days was one of his last ones so they'll give Byrne a lot of the credit there but I think that really downplays the impact that Claremont had because he did have some stellar stories that we still call back to uh, after that as well there's good structure there, and I, I think that's one of the things that you're probably going to want to lean on as far as those films go. But with with having said Days of Future Past uh, was the episode combo, uh, parts one and two that led up to um, Final Decision, I do want to mention the, uh, the very last bit of Days of Future Past, part two, where Senator Kelly has been re-kidnapped, as it were. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, the events of Days of Future Past, leaving them to the point where they think that they've stopped the, uh, I guess, the the potential dark future that they were all facing if they were able to save Senator Kelly. So, of course, they are able to to stop the assassination. But when they try to uh, when they try to find him, they find he's gone. And uh, I've, I've actually got it written down here because I thought that the, <laughs> I thought the scene was just wonderful and the dialogue was was tremendous. Uh, they go into Kelly's office and find him missing, and I think it's Cyclops or Jean says something about um, they had thought that it, the gang had gotten away with Senator Kelly after all, and Professor X says, I don't believe this was the work of the same gang. And Jean says, why not, Professor? Because my watch has stopped. <sighs> to which Cyclops replies, I don't understand why that's important. And then Professor X says, because it's been magnetized. Yeah. <laughs> and he drops it 
and it sticks to his chair. I thought that was just one of the coolest things. Dude, that is one of the, that I that is one of the most memorable lines in the entire season for me. Uh, that's like something that I, I will never forget. It felt like like looking back on it, it is the exact kind of way that you would tease in the comic what's upcoming. Exactly. And uh, yeah. You know, and uh, I felt like that was incredibly powerful. And what I would like to and if I if I misspeak here, then it's because I'm trying to do this from memory as far as those episodes go. But now that I'm thinking through this, uh, I think Bishop, when he was went back to the future, he notes that nothing's changed, or at least it appears nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as if they were setting up or making us feel like, with Kelly being kidnapped, he was about to be murdered anyway. Like right, that was the impression that yeah. I got. So I, as a kid, I didn't pick up on that, but. Now that I'm thinking through it, I'm like, oh, wow. These writers were really, <laughs> really deep for a kid's cartoon. Yeah. And and speaking of previous issues of X-Men, or rather the source material on, on which these cartoons are based, time travel, at least to my memory, seems to serve a major portion of the plot points and storylines in X-Men. So it would be almost impossible, I think, to do an X-Men series justice without getting involved with time travel to some degree. Yep. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't no, know. No, time travel but that's just... time travel is huge. I mean, you've got Rachel Summers, you've got Bishop, you've got Cable himself. Uh, there's just right. Ahab. There's just so many different people that, that deal with time travel in the X-Men world. So, yeah, you're right on that. We've got, we've got the X-Men going into Senator Kelly's office. He's been kidnapped. Um... And then let's see what we have. Uh, apparently, it's reached the news already. If if my memory serves and my notes are correct, I think you've got the uh, the mutant protesters, yep. or rather the pro- the anti mutant protesters. Um, and it's 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 all a huge deal. And uh, I don't think the X Men are none too pleased with the state of things because basically at this point, everything that they fought for is is falling apart. Yes. Yep. I I, I again. Seeing the no more mutants sign, it was just telling like how how heavy the show is playing into the racism and bigotry, and then uh, to to honestly think to today's current state, it's just depressing to think that twenty five years later we're still dealing with similar things. That not not a whole lot has changed, um, and you know I, I want to say I have more to say on that point, but I don't think that. Um, I don't think I want to stop here to discuss it. I think maybe there's going to be an appropriate time to to revisit that point um, in this conversation. As far as the protesting goes, I think this is something that, that we're seeing. And then we're cutting to Magneto with Senator Kelly, and he does his bad guy speech in this, <laughs> in this particular moment. You know, which, again, is kind of, you know, it's eye-roll worthy. Um but yep. one thing that stood out to me as he's, you know, he's he's recapping his particular hatred and and uh, his his own bigotry really um, towards uh, Homo sapiens and you know basically explaining to Senator Kelly that the only reason he was there was <laughs> to watch the other mutants kill him, <laughs> which. Which to me was extremely <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> that's a that's a very good point. I, I I remember him saying that. I even like made note of him saying it, but I didn't put it in my mind yeah. like how how demented that kind of is. 
<laughs> it really <laughs> is. He was like this, and I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he essentially said that that moment was the birth of his his ideal world and he wanted to be there to see it. So it's like, yeah, so so I flew to Washington DC to watch them murder you. Which kind of makes me wonder like why he wouldn't have just murdered him to begin with, like before all this, yeah. like himself. But it, it maybe maybe he was morally wrestling with it because he doesn't want to be that guy. But if it happens I think so. Yeah. I do think so. Um, and Mag- Magneto is very unique in that way. And he's he's a very nuanced character that uh, I don't think that I don't think that he gets enough. Maybe now that I guess comics are a little bit more mainstream and X-Men is a little bit more mainstream. So maybe I would be speaking out of turn if I said everybody, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> damn casuals. <laughs> really, I think a lot more people know who Magneto is. I think a lot more people know what his story is. And uh, if they don't, you know, allow me to be uh, the one to introduce you to Eric Magnus Lyncher, who uh, I believe, and I, I read this very recently, it was in one of the vignettes from Classic X-Men. I think it was number 12, that's A Fire in the Night, that was the vignette, where Magneto elaborates on how he had essentially grown to manhood inside of Auschwitz, which... It's pretty harrowing. I mean, I don't think you really need to to elaborate on that a whole lot more. He escapes eventually um, with the woman that I believe will become his wife. Um, I can't recall if his mutant power manifested at one point in the camp, uh, but they leave, and he and his wife go to uh, a, a village in Ukraine, I think, and they try to start a life there and and keep everything relatively cool, you know, um, in spite of everything that had happened to them. And uh, I think they have a daughter also at this point. It's kind of just more of the same, you know, wherever you go, there there are always folks that are going to gonna push push around the little guy and try to take advantage. And he, uh, long story short, some very bad things happen to, to him and his wife. Uh, his mutant power fully manifests. He ends up losing everything that he has there. Which is, it's disturbing, it's upsetting, and it really kind of gives you a, a full-on view of, of what happened to this guy early in his life and uh, some of the things that he had been through. But one of the interesting things that happened in this, in this vignette, and one of the things that I wanted to mention because of what you said, is that you're flashing forward some years. Uh, he awakes from the nightmare of his time um, in the camp, and uh, and losing his, his wife and daughter. And there is a, a similar fire. I think he's in Paris now. And there's a woman and her child shouting for help. And he's sitting there and he's kind of like, ah, maybe, maybe I'll just let him die. But he doesn't. And he saves them. And, mm. uh, and he says to them, let it be known that it was Magneto, you know, the killer, the terrorist that saved you from this fire. And, uh, and then I think there's a, somebody with, with the family that says, basically, you've, you've already proven to us that you are absolutely, you know, a human being. And I, I thought that was really cool. Wow. And it was one of the best representations to me, I guess, of, of what Magneto is all about. So I think you're absolutely spot on when you suggested that maybe he was wrestling with that within himself he kind of knew what needed to happen to form his 
his ideal world, but also knew that at the core it was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, and that's it's kind of amazing that in that moment that they're showing him with Kelly and he's told him, I've brought you here to kill you, you can kind of see him, like he turns to the camera instead of to Kelly, and you can kind of see him wrestling with this decision, almost like he's regretfully doing it, but but mm-hmm. he's still going to do it because he thinks this is this is the way to prevent that mass genocide from happening to his people again. And and I'm glad you talked about his backstory in the way that you did, because that's part of it that a lot of people, I think, don't know about. Well, I, you know, and I'd actually forgotten that they did lean on that very heavily and masterfully, I thought, uh, despite the douchebag that Brian Singer has really turned out to be. Uh, they ha- handled that very, very well in, uh, in that first X-Men movie from 2001. I mean, we could get into a conversation about separating the artist from the art, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we'll just suffice to say the dude's a douchebag. And uh, but X-Men was pretty cool. So, you know, um, Okay, so Magneto's with Kelly, and surprise, the Sentinels show up at this point while he's elaborating on his plan to essentially kill him on the spot. And uh, they basically re-kidnap Senator Kelly, uh, grievously wounding Magneto in the process, which, of course, you would think that Sentinels would be no issue for Magneto, but they sort of casually mentioned that they're made of plastics. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, In the most awkward way, it's the signal like this particular group is plastic. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, while I was watching it, I, that just jumped out at me as ridiculous. But then I was like, but no, it's Magneto. I mean, he can, you know, warp the magnetic field around the Sentinel and uh, and then he said something to the effect of, what was it, uh, the entire ship is my Dude, weapon? Dude, I loved that as a kid, and I still love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he had kidnapped Kelly and brought him to uh, the wreckage of a sunken ship, or uh, uh, I guess uh, what would have been scrap, a salvage yard maybe, I'm not sure. But yeah, it was, a, it was an old, rusted out uh, vessel of some kind, hence the, uh, hence the ship is my weapon. Yes. <laughs> Uh, was there anything else in that yeah, scene? Yeah, for me, man, what stood out was the blood. Oh, yeah. They showed blood in a kid's cartoon in 1992, 93, whatever it would have been. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I like, I was just kind of mesmerized by it watching it this time. I'm like, holy crap, there's blood dripping down his mouth. And then when, uh, <clears throat> well, we'll get into that part in a minute. But they do, just seeing the blood on his mouth as he's clenching his ribs there at the end, I was just kind of. Like I said, mesmerized. Yeah, that it's funny you say that because I I posted that image on the the uh, Sleeping Giant podcast Instagram story yesterday, and that was that was my thought too. And it's funny how you know when you're older, you're watching this stuff now, how big of a shock something like that is because you know now violence and blood and whatnot it's all so prevalent, and you're kind of desensitized to it. But when you're looking back on something like that, you can kind of see. Um, how big of a deal it was and just almost how out of place it was. So that, yeah. is, that is very you, interesting. You've got Wolverine with six claws that are adamantium and you don't show blood when he cuts anything. Like he never cuts anybody in the entire history right. of the show if it's not a robot and, and there you're depicting blood. So I'm like, why couldn't you have done that before? Or with, with Wolverine? Yeah. I think it's the whole... Um, 
Ninja Turtles versus the robotic Foot Clan thing, um, more or less, because the the like the severed limbs would <laughs> add up so so fast. <laughs> Uh, so that would be it would be a literal bloodbath and on that point though and I didn't notice this or think about it until last night um, when I was watching this episode again that Wolverine will pop his claws and he will brandish them and he'll come real close to tearing someone a new one but somebody always stops him did you yes. notice that like and this? Then, or <laughs> someone will either always stop him they'll grab him by the wrists or uh when he actually goes to hit them, the claws will be sheathed. Like, and uh, like I didn't in notice later that. episodes, it happens all the time. Like he'll pop them out, and then like when he actually gets up to fight, like something kind of interferes a little bit for a few seconds or something, and then he'll go to throw punches, and it's like, wait, you had those popped? <laughs> Where'd they go? <clears throat> we're gonna discover at some point that they were just really for show during that whole time. <laughs> they were actually aluminum. They probably were. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's it's okay, because I think Logan, um, the film Logan, more than made up for that. I don't know how you felt about uh, that. That's but. that's my, uh, like, that's that's one of my favorite comic book movies. Yeah, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm glad that we can agree on that. I would, I would certainly profess my love for that film regardless. But yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's so good. It is so good. And finally, to see... Um, the aftermath of Wolverine's Berserker Rages with Adamantium Claws, yes. just to see kind of how that ends up. And they didn't lean too heavily on it either. Like, it wasn't just full of, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, severed arms and legs and heads. There were a few, <laughs> but, you know, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't rely on that too much. It wasn't gratuitous, I guess, is what I mean. Yeah, to say. it was more artistic. So. We have uh, we have the X Men. They swoop in at this point, and they more or less rescue Magneto. If I'm remembering this correctly, yep, he's buried and under. They some take rubble. him back, which was hard for me to watch. I don't know how you felt about seeing that. him like that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That so in that entire scene, like the some of the stuff that I remembered uh, even before watching it again was Gambit getting made fun of for Mesomies as a Sentinel, and then. Wolverine's like it takes a whole sentinel to scare most people. I remembered that, oh, and then yeah. the other thing, the the visual. I thought they did a lot of things in this episode that really stood out visually that maybe they didn't do in some of the other ones. And one of that being when they're getting into the ship, you see Wolverine, mm-hmm. and the way that you see Wolverine is through a reflection in a puddle, and he kind of like does a little flip down. And I thought that was a unique way to bring him into the ship or to show it, and. Uh, so that was something that I, I really that really caught my eye. I will have to go back and check that out. I, I didn't notice that, um, but that that is an excellent point, and that is something that my brother and I had talked about when we discussed the first two episodes of the season. How there were so many little things visually. I mean, it wasn't the best animation by any means, but some of the choices that they made and some of the things that they pulled off visually within that style of animation or within the parameters of that animation were unique, I thought, and just really kind of cool, very subtle. Yeah. And it sound, sounds like what you just described is uh, one of those instances. So I'm definitely going to have to go back and, and check that out. So at this point, they've got Wolverine, or excuse me, they've got Magneto at the mansion, and we're going to cut back to um, the tunnels that uh, 
the I think it's Trask and um, Gyrick are in with Master Mold. I think I've got their names. Yep. Uh, if I remember, I always I, and this is stemming from childhood. I always confuse Trask and Gyrick. <laughs> Um and that uh, Trask I believe is the the creator of the Sentinels, and Gyrick is the uh, the agency director is that yes, right? Yes, he's like the federal. Do I have it mixed no, up? No, that's that's right. Uh, Gyrick does the is the federal security agent or something along those lines. And I don't know if he's working for the FSA would be their acronym and fun, uh, funding them that way, or if he's doing this off on his own. But uh, yeah, that you've got that right. Yeah, I'm not sure that that is a good question. I'm I'm leaning towards the idea that he went rogue. Because I, if I, if memory serves, the president had ordered them to shut that whole operation down, which is probably why they're hidden away. Yep. Um, but again, there are some specifics there that I'm not clear on. So you might be right. Um, so it's at this point that Master Mold introduces what can only be like the most metal <laughs> comic book scheme. <laughs> uh, no pun intended, of course, uh, because it's it's just it's so pulpy. Um, and it's ridiculousness. So you want to go ahead and lay this one yeah, out? Yeah, so I mean, in hearing it, it is ridiculous. But to think about from an <laughs> AI, it, I, I think mm-hmm. about it and I'm like, okay, I can actually see the dots that would connect to that point for an AI. So Master Mold's entire plan is he's going to abduct world leaders from the the world and he's going to replace their brains with a computer that I guess is going to be synced with him so that he can implement yeah. laws to basically cr- promote, I guess his plan is to promote peace because the, his whole concept is that, that uh, humans and mutants are of the same. And so that all of them need protected from themselves. Um, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. Which was <laughs> so ironic. Yeah. I, I I'm kind of glad they went that way with it because I mean, it's sci-fi. You have to have the AI turn on on the creator, right? Exactly. Very, very Skynet. Got a lot of Terminator yep, vibes for sure from that situation there. Uh, you know, and I didn't think about this until tonight, actually, because here I was. I was thinking, oh, well, you know, it's Master Mold that says, uh, you know, you created us. Uh, one of them freaks out. I think maybe it's Trask, and he was like, oh, you can't do this. We, uh, you know, you were created to, as you said protect humans he's like yeah mutants are humans therefore you need to be protected from yourselves i didn't think about the other side of it because i thought no they're they're the the jerks here they're the douchebags they're the ones that need handling but then i thought oh wait there's magneto (laughs) so you're not just thinking about the x-men you know you're not just thinking about the people that are trying to do good because there is hate on both sides and I think that was where they were going with yeah. that. And um, I'm glad you said that because I didn't think of it that way at all until literally just now. Yep, that's the the quote that you just referenced is one that I made note of because I was like, wow, that's a that's a very heavy concept in a, in a mm-hmm. cartoon like this. Absolutely. So that uh, that is not looking good for Kelly there because Senator Kelly is the first one on the slab. And uh, I think he's... He's the first one to get his his brain transplanted. <laughs> so obviously, this is something we want to stop. Um, was there anything else in the scene that you wanted to mention or that you had noticed? No, but I, I will say this now, looking back on it, how amazing would it have been if we were led to believe that the that it hadn't happened, 
but really mm-hmm. it had. So like in season two, mm-hmm. when it was Kelly, we would have been thinking it was Kelly, but it was actually Master Mold. That would, right. No, that would have been man, awesome. N- missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they go back and, and make that movie based on the notes that you were giving <laughs> earlier, that's something they can include. So you might want to petition, uh, excuse me, petition Fox. Or excuse me, Disney. <laughs> you, may, you might want to petition Disney now, as a matter of fact. Um, so uh, clearly this is something that we don't want to have happen. Um, the X-Men are aware that the, uh, that the Sentinels were involved. They thought that the program had been scrapped. So it's at this point that they're searching for basically any way to find where the Sentinels home base could be. And I believe I actually had to rewind this cause it happened in kind of a subtle way. Either that or my attention span has dwindled down to nothing and I can't. <laughs> follow these things anymore uh they deduced that gambit was the only member of the x-men who had met uh yes it's uh from slave island when he's at uh genosha and they capture him uh he makes a deal or we think he makes a deal and so they actually take him to their leader which is some guy with a ponytail that we never see again. Yeah. Didn't they call him just yeah, the leader? Yeah, they did. Something like something really and weird. And Cable hated him. But, so they take him to, to him and <laughs> Gyrick is there because the, the Sentinel program is overseas at Genosha at that point. And so he actually sees Gyrick uh, in that moment because they're working on the deal or whatever and he wants he wants the X-Men. So uh, so that's, that's how they were able to, to figure it out. Yes, and it was at that point too where there was a lot of freaky stuff going on in that Cajun's head, dude. That uh, I love. So these are the Easter eggs that <clears throat> Eric Leewald and and the others behind this show they just drop them in there, and that's one of them. So around that time was X Men number eight and nine, uh, X Men volume two eight and nine, and then those two issues actually tie in with Ghost Rider. I think it's twenty six and twenty seven. Forgive me if I get that part wrong. But um, oh, I have no idea. So you're you were totally forgetting. Yeah. So 100. percent I know absolved. the X Men ones, but I'm pretty sure those are the Ghost Rider issues. And what ends up happening is Belladonna comes back, or Belladonna gets introduced, and everyone freaks out because Gambit has a wife that no one knows about, and mm-hmm. that she's basically there to bring him back to New Orleans, where the Thieves Guild and the Assassins Guild are are fighting again really badly, and like it's Gambit's fault or not fulfilling his part of the marriage. And when they go, there's um, basically what had happened is the, the thieves guild and the assassins guild were being overrun by the brood, the, the alien creatures, oh. the brood and ghost rider somehow gets involved. So there's this big team up with Wolverine gambit and ghost rider versus the brood uh, in New Orleans. Oh yeah. So, you know, I think you guys mentioned that yep. uh, and talked about it. Uh, very recently, I, it's so funny. I remember the street that I was on <laughs> when I was listening. When I was listening to that, so, um, and it, not that that's remotely important, but yeah, I do remember yeah, that. So this was a nice little Easter egg to that. That I was like, "All right, that is awesome that they were they were able to do that." And when I say you guys, of course, I am referring to the Marvel Mythos podcast. Yes, yes, that's where uh, I spend most of my time now, and my wife is not happy about that part of it. Ah, <laughs> oh, but it's so much fun. It's so much fun. It's and you you bring joy to so many See, people. That's I need to you know, I need to save that quote right there. When this podcast airs, I'm going to take that quote and be like, "Listen, honey, this is what I'm being told, so I have to keep doing it." 
<laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so they are going to go after the Sentinels at this point. Uh, Master Mold has to be stopped. The Sentinels have to be stopped. Uh, and there was a moment, I believe that it's in the war room before they head out to take care of business that, uh, again, memory's a little spotty. Jubilee says, you know, oh, well, you know, I'm coming along. And they're like, nah, I don't think so. You're going to stay here. And she's basically like, no, you know, um, this is, you know, this, I'm an X-Man. This is my home. This is, uh, you know, this is the only place where I've ever felt like I belonged. And this is my fight too. And I'm, I'm going to be evolved. And everyone was just sort of like, yeah, uh, fair play. <laughs> yeah, Jubilee finally made a good point. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and it, again, it was, you know, it could have been a throwaway moment, but it really, it, it meant something to me when I watched it. And I think that it worked. What they were going for, I think it worked. I agree. So that was pretty yep. cool. Um, so here, of course, is another brilliant line from Magneto as they're in the Blackbird and flying away. He says, you're all fools. Heroic fools. The brave are always the first to die. <laughs> watching the, the blackbird fly away. That was intense. That is, um, when, I, when I think about the show, that is the quote for me. Uh, I, I will never forget that quote. I even referenced it uh, on, on our show not long ago because just the whole idea. So like what you're talking about there is <clears throat> the scene where they've decided it's a suicide mission because at that point they've kind of found out where the Sentinels are from Gyrick mm -hmm. and they're deciding to go save Kelly because they know what the plan is. And um, so Xavier kind of gives a speech like, we're going to do this and Gambit's like, this is stupid. We're going to commit suicide for, you know, our worst enemy. And Xavier's oh, point yeah. is kind of like, Hey, we have to, this is why we do it. We're better than, we have to show a better way. And so you get Jubilee's statement there and you get this whole scene where it's just a very grand scene where everyone is kind of making their point as to why they're going to fight and, and willing to die for this. And Cyclops doesn't even do that. He's just like, this is stupid. I'll be in the Blackbird, and, <laughs> which is like the worst thing. Like I'm like, man, I remember why I hated Cyclops growing up, but at the same time, it's like, this guy's really dedicated to the cause or to Xavier. And mm -hmm. then, uh, and then Wolverine is like, yeah, you know, we're going to do this. And what I, what I remember the, another thing that's always stood out to me is how slow Gambit was to stand up because he really mm -hmm. didn't want to die for this. And so I, I want to make a point of that now. So that later when we talk about something else, I can bring it back up, but he's very adamant about not wanting to do this. And, <clears throat> but he's going to, because his team, his friends are doing it. Is it the kind of the vibe I got? Like he gave into the peer pressure for his friends, but he doesn't think this is a cause worth doing necessarily. Right. I'm very glad that you, that you elaborated on all that, <laughs> on all of that, because I see that I glossed over quite a bit. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, with that said, um, you know, I, like I said, uh, I, my notes are very sparse, so feel free to jump in if there's, you know, um, a point that you wanted to make, I, I may have it written down already. I may not, but, uh, you know, more is, more is the better, yep. surely. Um, okay. So I don't remember much about when they actually get to the mines. And, uh, I do remember that they split up into, into separate teams. And <laughs> so, so maybe you can elaborate on this. <laughs> so the only thing, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so they get there. And this is, this is, it's just this whole episode, man. Like for real, like when I say I remembered every part of this episode, I was not lying. And <laughs> the, the scene, like, so they're, they're at these mines and the team is kind of at the top and like, they've decided Cyclops, Gene and uh, Wolverine and Gambit are going to go inside of to try and get Kelly out, which makes sense. Actually, now that I think about it, it's a very stealthy team. And then you've got your powerhouses, mm-hmm. Magneto and Rogue and, storm uh to handle the sentinels uh above the mines and so what happens is there's an elevator that goes down into the mines and you see the x-men on it and at some point they get off because the elevator goes all the way down there's all these sentinels crowded around ready to just blast them to death and there's just a glowing card on the on the elevator yes and he's like it appears to be the ace of spades and then it blows up (laughs) but the thing that's always that is exactly what i was gonna say (laughs) but the thing that bugs me about it is it's not the ace of spades that he charges up when they're going down the tag on elevator. It's like a three of diamonds or something like that, but it's definitely not the ace of spades. And I'm like, Oh my God, come on. You couldn't get that part, right? Like it's such a critical part oh. in what you're doing, but uh, maybe, maybe you just chuck the other one when they were going down the elevator and, and, but yeah, that's the, the point you were talking about where they split yeah. off into teams. Uh, maybe Remy thought that it would be more poignant. <laughs> And it's like no, no. Actually, this this is the, this is the one right here. And also, speaking of missed opportunities, that is when the action explodes when he picks up that card, yes, and reads it. The Sentinel does. So if they would have queued up Motorhead, like right there, and played the Ace of Spades, I I could have died, and that would it would have just been perfect. I want to say that this was probably my favorite part of the episode visually. Um, and also on a, a, an auditory level, because one of the things about X-Men that I didn't really realize until very recently is that the sound effects in this show are killer. Um, like the sound design is just, it's, it's awesome. And you, you won't hear a lot of effects or you won't hear a lot of similar effects in other places. Um, you know, like Wolverine's Claws, for example, like that, that sound is just iconic to me and I'll never forget it. Yeah, the, but, I'm uh, with you on that. The, the scene in the mines where Wolverine is fighting the Sentinels, and again, to your point, they really amp up how desperate this battle is because I think you see Wolverine kind of just decide basically that he's going to die in those mines, and he just goes nuts on the Sentinels. And there's that scene where all the lights are out and they're firing on him, and the uh, the foreground is being lit and you just see him jumping from sentinel to sentinel between their laser blasts and he's just tearing them apart and uh that like whoever designed that i mean hats off because that i mean to just to be what could have been and i know i keep saying this but to be what could have been uh something that was just throwaway I really feel like they put a lot into it, a lot of thought. Yeah, I, I mean, when you think about that scene, like <clears throat> how different would that scene would have felt if they would have left the lights on? You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have had the mm-hmm. same feel to it. And I, I love the, so many choices that they made in this, from the one that I mentioned earlier with the shipyard. And then there's actually another one when they're getting the information from Gyrick and you see Wolverine on the Lincoln, um, the Lincoln, is it the memorial? I can't remember. It's the Lincoln statue. Um, so he's like, so, he's yeah. camped out on that. And, and then to, to, to get to this, these were like three of my notes was how 
Wolverine might have some cheesy dialogue at parts of this episode, but he actually gets some of the coolest moments of any character in the entire series. And they kind of all happen, not all of them, but a lot of them happen in this episode. And that's one of them. And I love that scene because it starts when they get into this little section and Wolverine realizes there's a crap ton of Sentinels and he's like, Cajun, we got to get out of here. And they run and he, Mm -hmm. he shuts the door behind Gambit and locks himself in to your point where he's, he's decided like, I'm going to die in these mines. I'm not going to let him kill, you know, my teammate or my friend. And this is where I was kind of talking about earlier when I said I wanted to revisit Gambit's decision because Mm-hmm. Gambit was very apprehensive about coming into this. And yet when he's in this situation where it's do or die, he actually makes that decision to blast open the door and join Wolverine in what could be their final fight together. And so mm-hmm. I, I liked that. And I also, to your point, man, the, the visual dynamics of that entire scene is just unbelievable to think about them having that idea and to incorporate that into the, the cartoon. Yeah, man, it. I, I'm I'm gonna watch these again. This definitely wasn't. It wasn't once and done for me. I don't think it wasn't for research purposes only. I thought maybe it would be, and that it wouldn't. The show wouldn't do it for me, so to speak. But yeah, uh, Rob from uh, Red Cup Review he he commented on on the post that I had made in regard to this episode, and he said something um, to the effect of, "Man, they really need to to remaster these." <laughs> and release them in HD. And I was like, yeah, like now I thought that I was just going to watch these and, and sort of go, Oh, <laughs> and never watch them again. But I, I would really like to have these and uh, I'm going to obviously continue uh, watching the rest of uh, rest of the episodes and probably do some shows about them. <laughs> well, um, well and- <laughs> I would love to be a part of some of those. Uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's it's been great. It's been great because it's like I said. I mean, there there are aspects where I just decided to skim over something that I wasn't as impressed by, uh, or maybe I just forgot about. And then you've brought them back up and 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 really elaborated on them. And and you know, being a discussion of an episode, you've really fleshed it out. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely grateful for yes. you. Uh, for you. Sorry if we're going over your normal runtime. <laughs> oh no no not at all and that's it's just what i hope for i have an idea in mind of of where i want to be uh how much time i want to spend on something but you know it's always my fervent hope that things will unfold and and develop and uh you know we'll get some good stuff and i think i think that we have um so i don't remember very much surprise <laughs> uh about what happens after that i know that that wolverine makes it back to gambit and of course like he's all blasted up uh essentially shirtless except for his mask which just upsets <laughs> me i i don't i don't know why i think that it's because he looks like some kind of at this point debased superhero almost yeah <laughs> like the, in my mind now that we're talking about it, i'm like okay that just proves he didn't get a headshot at all so, so he, right. was, he was quick enough and agile enough to not get shot in the head. So good for Wolverine. <laughs> but still, just so, I know. so weird. It is him. very... Uh, I think there was an actu- actually an episode of Batman, the animated series, where they did something similar. Yeah. Where he's... He, was he fighting uh, Ra's that's al Ghul? That's what I... When you mentioned it, that's what I pictured was a, a battle with Raish or Ra's. And uh, I, I think so. I think that was it. I think that was what was going on there. But yeah, I think of that every single time. And I'm like, well, obviously somebody watched 
somebody first and was like, hey, you know what? That looked pretty cool. We should, <laughs> we should make that happen. Um, so I know that uh, Trask gets the the one up somehow on Master yes. Mold, and I don't remember how he so, does it. So you might have so to. So there's help me. a. <clears throat> so I'm I'm just gonna pretend. <clears throat> excuse me, that they're like where my parents live, where they didn't have a, a gas from like a energy company, because what mm-hmm. Trask sees is that they've got the propane gas tank inside of this the All mine right. there, and he turns some kind of laser thing on it to overheat it to get the propane tank to explode. And while he's doing that, you've got Gene and Scott uh, saving Senator Kelly. And as they're leaving, what I loved was the callback to Night of the Sentinels because as they're trying to escape with him, Cyclops tells Gene, I'm going back for Wolverine and Gambit. And he's oh, and he says, yeah. I'm not leaving anybody behind this time, and which is a callback to Night of the Sentinels when he left Morph and Beast behind. So I thought that was mm-hmm. a really awesome way to tie that up because it was two individuals that he left just like in this scenario it's another two but um so he goes and he and he, he finds them just like to to your point with wolverine shirtless this is where he's shirtless and they're just standing over a <laughs> mountain of just destroyed sentinels and i'm like all right good work guys <laughs> that's how that gets yeah, the only way that could yeah, have gone exactly so i i remember that Master Mole, he, he almost escapes, doesn't he? Like, he bursts out of the mountain, sort of like Chernabog and uh, Night on Ball yep. Mountain, which was a very cool scene. And uh, I, I don't recall what happens. It's That's that's okay. I remember specifically. <laughs> I thought you might. Uh, Xavier, for whatever reason, Xavier's been a part of this battle in the Blackbird, and for some reason, in the Blackbird, against a bunch of Sentinels who shoot laser beams... He thought it was a good idea to have a bunch of TNT and dynamite and explosives inside of the Dagon Blackbird. I'm not sure the right. logic there, but that's what he has. So he makes up his mind <laughs> that I'm going to go kamikaze and I'm going to take out Master Mold by flying the Blackbird in it. So this is the point. So as we were kind of already talking, everyone at, at certain points has had this moment where they're deciding this is the end for me, but I'm doing mm-hmm. it for the greater good. And this is Xavier's moment where he's going to fly the ship directly into Master Mold and blow it up. And what's really cool is, <clears throat> as the ship is approaching Master Mold, he, Master Mold, he's a sentinel. He goes to just blast the ship before it hits him. And at that point, there's a magnetic field around the Blackbird that saves Xavier and saves the moment. And then Xavier is able to eject in time and the Blackbird crashes into Master Mold and blows up, takes out Master Mold, and you've got Xavier parachuting down and he's like, where's Magneto? He saved me. And then Magneto's like, hey, just because I saved you this time doesn't mean I'm going to save you the next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said something. I remember him saying something, though, like, you didn't think I was going to let you die yes, alone or like something to that effect. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I remember all of this stuff, of course, after I say that I don't. Um, so what I what I got out of this episode were a few different things one of which of course is as we mentioned before it ties the whole season up together very well but what i got out of it was that this was this was the episode where the x-men went from being sort of theoretical to official yes when they they realized that they actually cared about what xavier was trying to teach them they cared about each other and they were willing to die for what Xavier believed in and what it turned out they all believed in. 
and they discovered that working together would actually pay off and, and no one got killed. Dang, I like that. I have I've never considered it that way before, but I love that because that is, that's exactly what's going on. It's, and it's also, so it's if, almost <laughs> like the point where they become almost official, officially known too, because I feel like they were kind of like whispered about almost to that point mm-hmm. with the government stuff. And then this is the point where they, they kind of, come into the limelight because Kelly reforms from this experience. Um, Right. I think, um, I I think that's it. The uh, beast of course is released from prison after Kelly has his revelation, which again kind of ties everything up because this whole season, I think it's important to note that the whole season beast has been in prison. And, and that he hasn't really been a member of the team effectively throughout these entire 13 episodes, save for Night of the Sentinels. Yeah, I, 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 I struggled to understand why they did that, other than it was just a huge cast to try and juggle, um, unless mm-hmm. they had in mind all along that they were going to have this, this almost like a <clears throat> um, this depiction of bigotry to the point that sometimes you get uh, imprisoned and unjustly. And then the, the whole idea of being to exonerate him at the end. So I don't, I don't know if maybe that was their intent and it wasn't just budget. I, I think it was, I hope so. I don't think that it was. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was, it wasn't that big a coincidence or it couldn't have been that big a coincidence. I think is what I meant to say. Um, I think that that was the idea that staying the course because he had so many times to get out of prison. I mean, uh, Gambit was just like, dude, <laughs> like you want to get out? I'll get you out. You know? And he could have at any point. I mean, he he demonstrated that he himself could pry the bars apart enough to get out. But he was like, no, we're trying to prove a point here. Let's be yep. patient. And then, and, and then uh, even earlier than that, you've got Magneto trying to break him out, and he won't he won't leave. And then you've got the Colossus and the Juggernaut moment when Colossus is in mm-hmm. prison, and they're like, hey, we can get you out too. We're getting this guy out. And he's like, no, no, I gotta, I gotta stay in my course. So that's a good point. So he was involved to the point that it wasn't just a budgetary decision. So it may have been both, <laughs> you know. Um, in which case, great, your, you know, your ability to engineer is, is fantastic. Um, I, I would like to finish by saying that I thought that the first season of X Men was fantastic, and I'm actually glad that you chose to do. Um, the final decision because it really it gave me an opportunity to go back and watch everything and then see how it culminated in this particular episode so i thank yeah, you for that. i'm glad that you enjoyed it because it, it that that first season especially is near and dear for my heart and mm-hmm. i <clears throat> about two or three years ago i think it was three got my daughter to start watching um x-men evolution and then she loved that so much that I was like, well, if you love this, let's watch the real thing. So, <laughs> uh, so once we finished that, we moved into the, the 92 animated series and we were, we were chugging along really well. And I, and I remembered like thinking, wow, it might not be the best um, animation, but there are moments that are beautiful mm-hmm. and it holds up extremely well compared to a lot of the stuff I've tried to watch that I, that I have a nostalgia for. Um, this is mm-hmm. more than that. This is something that I think actually can stand time. And I think it's, and I Absolutely. think it's because it's so heavy and the themes are so relevant regardless of 
of where you're at or when you're living. At the risk of sounding pretentious, <laughs> it, it is timeless. Yes. I think as, as long as there are human beings and as long as human beings do what human beings do, I think X-Men will always be relevant. Um, and on that point, earlier in, in our conversation, we mentioned uh, that I that there was a point that I wanted to get back to, and that was how you know you're seeing all of this intolerance, and you're seeing all this hatred and bigotry, and how some things never change. And I didn't want to get stuck on that point right there, and I didn't want to leave it in a very negative way either. I tend to be a lot more pessimistic than I am optimistic. I'm I'm working <laughs> on it, but but that is you know that is where things are. So speaking of optimism. I wanted to kind of give you the floor here to talk about something that I recently I recently read on your recommendation, um, and that was X Men Red, <laughs> one of the one of the best things I've read in a long time, and it actually it it, it fully stoked the furnace of my of my new or newfound rediscovered <laughs> I should say interest in X Men. Uh, Tom Taylor's X Men Red is something that <clears throat> I will always love. I think, I think it's something that, that honestly reaches an almost Claremont level of X-Men that even 15 years from now, people will remember that run, albeit a very short run. I think it was only 12 issues, <clears throat> um, 13, if you count the annual, but Taylor had mm -hmm. a vision and he turned it into a 12, 12 issue arc that is just masterful. And it actually, uh, I think it was the first thing by Taylor that I realized was Tom Taylor that I'd read. Like I'd read some mm -hmm. of his other stuff, like his X-23 run, or I think it was all new Wolverine. Sorry. Um, I read a lot of that and loved it, but it wasn't something that I'm like, I got to know who this writer is and, and find out everything they've written. But when I got to red, I'm like, holy crap, this guy is fantastic. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh, wow, I've read some of this guy. But then I started to see all this other stuff that he does. And what's really cool is you it now more than I feel like ever. And I could be way misspeaking here, but it feels to me that now more than ever, writers and artists are cross pollinating between DC and Marvel at the same time. Mm -hmm. And Tom Taylor has been writing Injustice over at DC. And I know I'm a Marvel guy. But I have to to throw that out there too because his Injustice series is fantastic as well. And reading X Men Red got me to want to read more Tom Taylor, so I went out and found that, and I started reading that. And I'm like, dear God, dude! Um, like, do you just <laughs> only write good things? Like, is this what you do? Yeah. Um, and I and I was a big fan of Kelly Thompson too because uh, she wrote uh, the Rogan Gambit miniseries, and now she's writing Mister and Mrs X, which picks up where that kind of mm -hmm. left off. And she's, she's phenomenal. Like I'm, I'm in love with her writing too. But when I got to Taylor and I'm finding all the stuff from him, I'm like, sorry, Kelly, you're, you're supplanted. Like you're, you're great. But Tom Taylor's, <laughs> Tom Taylor's kind of where it's at right now. Um, but yes, X-Men Red, it's fantastic. It gives Gene the, the limelight finally. And, and mm -hmm. uh, what we've been reading in Marvel Mythos, I kind of see the, the seeds being planted that Gene would make a great leader, but it's not really until X-Men Red that we got to see how great of a leader she can be. 
And it's not even like a huge change for her personality. It's just, she's giving a chance. And uh, so his team is, is amazing. I mean, you've got X 23, honey badger, gambit, Namor, um, gentle. And um, I really like Namor. Namor. in this is, is great. Like he's a, he Taylor was one of the few that I've found that can write Namor where his personality stays intact. And I don't want to just punch him in the face. Um, Cause there are some that keep that personality, but they, they amplify it a little bit and Taylor kind of mm-hmm. kind of made it a little more subtle. And, uh, and just the trinary, I was actually a big fan of trinary too, um, which I think she was a new character for this. And then storm has great moments. One of my favorite in the entire run though <clears throat> is at the end. And it's got me clamoring for a team up. I never dreamed that I would want. And that's Gambit and Thor. Oh, do you wow. remember that? Yeah. Like yeah. that all scene, man. I was yeah. just like, holy crap. I never thought I would sit here and read a comic with Gambit and Thor and think this is a buddy team up waiting to happen. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I've, I've raved enough about Taylor and X-Men red for, for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that I want to say about that specifically that situation, but I think it might be a little too spoilery because it surprised yeah. me and it entertained me a lot. So I definitely don't want to give that away. So if you haven't read X-Men Red, you definitely need to get on that. Yes. It's got it's got our mutual mutual seal of approval. <laughs> and and for you, if you want to check out Injustice, man, I know it's DC, but like I'm Hey, I got no problem I with I don't DC. either. I absolutely. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm I, a Marvel fanboy, but at the end of the day, I like good writing wherever it's at. So, uh I don't know if you can see that. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's, that's one of my, my recent pickups. Perfect. Um, but yeah, that, that was, that was really crazy by the way. If you, if you haven't read damned, I definitely, if, if you, if you can stomach starting something and then stopping and waiting months <laughs> for the next one to come out, you know, that's, you know, but yeah, I don't see anything wrong with liking, even loving Marvel and DC. I like star Wars. I love star Wars. I oh. misspoke. I said, like, that was uh, just I, silly. I love so, star Wars. You, I, I also love Star Trek. You, uh, That's... you mentioned that I turned you on to X-Men Red. Um, I have to, mm-hmm. to confess to you that thanks to you, I have started reading Jason Aaron's Star Wars run. Ooh. And I'm like blown away. I'm like, holy crap. Because <laughs> I like Star Like I've been one of those people that like the Star Wars movies. I appreciate the Star Wars movies, but it was never like, holy crap, I got to know more and more and more and more. And then I was like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, it's Jason Aaron. I love his Thor got a thunder run. So I'm like, I'm going to read this. And I, I started reading it and I'm like, I haven't been able to put it down. I've read like 20 comics in three days. Um, it's just, yeah. So thanks for that recommendation. Yeah, man. Absolutely. It's, it's good. It's some of it is filler. Like in the way that we had talked earlier about how most of the episodes, if not, uh, none of the episodes of, um, of X-Men were, they were all relevant. Some of the Star Wars stuff seems a little fillery to me, but on the whole, I think that it clarifies a lot of things and augments a lot of things from the original trilogy that I found satisfying. I know not everybody does. I know I do, and I'm definitely glad that you did. Um, But yeah, with that being said, I think we've probably reached a a decent place to, to wrap this up because there's just so much that we could talk about. And I'm afraid that this will just keep (laughs) keep going on and on. Um, but I I do want to say, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time out of your night to, uh, 
to do this. Dude, uh, I am I'm thrilled to be a part. This was a lot of fun, and I hope to be able to be on again sometime. Uh, if you ever want to talk X Men Red, I'm down for that. Oh, if you yes. ever want to? <laughs> it's in the works. If you ever want to talk uh, anything season two X Men, and I'm glad that. But I picked Final Decision because if I'd have known you were going to binge watch everything leading up to it, I might have picked Graduation Day <laughs> and just binge watch the whole thing. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that it's... it's I, I've got kind of a plan. I've got a, at least some type of aesthetic that I'd like to create as far as the way that I'm going to do these. So um, I, I think you'll be pleased with how it turns awesome. out. At least I hope you will. Um, but again, thank you so much, and uh, and especially thank you for uh, elaborating on some of those major points <laughs> that uh, just t- totally slipped my mind. I remember talking to you earlier. I was like, "Yeah, man, I got the story beats right here," <laughs> and then I can I could see where I just sort of trailed off <laughs> at the end because I was just watching the episode and not really taking notes. Um, but again, thank you so much, and uh, I can't wait to have yep, you back. Thanks on. for having me. Holy damn, y'all. That is our episode for this month. Huge thanks again to Brian for joining me in conversation and hugest of thanks to all y'all for listening. I can pretty much guarantee that we're going to have more X-Men episodes in the future. I'm just, I'm on that kick, so it's going to happen. And we will likely visit X-Men Red, at least in some capacity, and I would love it if Brian could be involved. Sounds like he's game. Let's keep our fingers crossed that that actually happens. I I think it will, though. Um, I am strongly considering doing another character study for our next episode in a similar way as I did for Darth Vader uh, some time ago in one of our previous episodes. If you would like, you can message me on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email with a suggestion for who you might like for me to write about. I do promise that it will be a good time. At least I will have a good time. And hopefully you will have a good time hearing about it. Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Until next time, y'all. <laughs>